Good news. My new book is almost here. It's called Handbook for the Heartbroken, A Woman's Path from Devastation to Rebirth. And while it doesn't officially come out with Sounds True until May 7th, you can pre-order it now. And when you do, you'll receive up to $500 in additional gifts and resources to support you on your healing journey. I wrote this book because in the four-year span between 2016 and 2020, I experienced serial heartbreaks that rocked every area of my life, health, relationships, finances, career, social status, and even my very identity. Along the way, I experienced firsthand just how dysfunctional our culture's relationship to loss really is. I saw how we live in a heartbreak illiterate world that's obsessed with success, shackled with isolation, and ignorant of how valuable our suffering can be for our growth and evolution, not only as individuals, but as a species. So this book expands the conversation around grief and loss beyond just breakups and bereavement, although we cover those too, to include falls from grace of all kinds, personal, professional, and collective. This includes the end of a relationship or job, death of a loved one, a natural disaster or a war, infertility, abortion, or a financial crisis. Also, when we're going through hard times, we're encouraged at every turn to hurry up and get on with it. But by trying to power through these messier seasons of life, we're denying ourselves the very answers to our healing and growth. Whether you're experiencing hardship right now, or you know that you have past hurts that are holding you back and still need healing, this book will support you. Handbook for the Heartbroken will show you that it's only through fully turning toward your heartbreak with support, courage, and compassion that you can heal. Within the loving pages of this book, you'll have full permission to fall apart and slowly, organically, find your way back to greater wholeness. I'm truly excited to share this with you. You can download your free chapter now and pre-order the book to receive all those bonuses at handbookfortheheartbroken.com. That's handbookfortheheartbroken.com. I also want to add that pre-ordering the book now is the very best way that you can support me as an author and the health of this book when it enters the world in May. It signals to booksellers to stock the book at that time and in turn, make it available to more people who need it. So thank you for your pre-orders. Thank you for your support. And I look forward to continuing to deepen together in this important conversation over the coming months. Hello, women. Welcome to She Talks, a space for you to come home to the wisdom and divinity within you, your she. I'm Sarah Von Stover, an author, spiritual teacher, and founder of the nonprofit Redemption Circle. This summer, I'm sharing a new series on the podcast called I Had an Abortion. Inspired by the isolation and suffering I experienced after my own abortion last year, this series aims to help alleviate the separation and silence that millions of women around the world experience after their abortions. This is a safe and sacred space for us to come together and have a healing, educational, and inspiring conversation around the most taboo topic on the planet, out in the light of day. 
I Had an Abortion is also a series to help raise funds for the nonprofit I founded called Redemption Circle to change the way we view and treat women who have had abortions. Redemption Circle is a 501c3 and global movement to heal the stigma of abortion and create a support network that spans the world and empowers women to heal physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually after their abortions. Every dollar we receive goes towards building this vision. And you can donate for as little as the cost of a cup of coffee each month, just $5. Plus, it literally takes less than two minutes to donate. To do that, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash redemption circle. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash redemption circle. On that page, you can learn more about this vision. And you'll also see ways that you can get involved if you want to volunteer your time or your skills, or if you feel inspired to lead redemption circles in your home community, wherever you happen to be in the world. And if you've had an abortion, whether it was a month ago or 40 years ago, and you still feel some dis-ease around it, or even if you feel tremendous relief around it, and you want to join a community for the first online gathering that I'll be leading to help women to return to wholeness after their abortions. This will start in September. And as always, I'd love to have you. So to learn more about that or to sign up, to be notified when it opens, depending upon when you when you hear this, it may already be open go to thewayofthehappywoman.com forward slash redemption, thewayofthehappywoman.com forward slash redemption. Thank you for your support. As an African proverb says, when we pray, we need to move our feet. So by donating, this is how we can move our feet. And the only way we can move the needle on this topic and to really see more change in our lifetimes and supporting women after abortions is by joining together to do this. Ideas that we share grow stronger. All right, now for today's I Had an Abortion conversation. Hello, friends. I wanted to pop in before we dive into this conversation to give you a little bit of a background. And first, I want to acknowledge that I'm just getting over a very mild summer cold. So my voice might sound a little bit strange today. It feels like it sounds strange to me. And also to say that Dr. Northrup and I just dive right into this conversation. She had just finished reading my abortion story and posted on her Facebook before she got on the line And we jump right in. So we refer a lot to my story throughout this conversation. And if you want some background information, if you haven't read or listened to my story, I link to it in the show notes. And it's also a couple episodes back in this podcast series. So this is the third episode in this series, and that was episode one. And we also jump right into talking about energy vampires, because that was a really big part of my own abortion story, my entanglement with narcissists and sociopaths, 
And I link to a short article that I wrote about that, um, these energy vampires in my abortion story, and also for a much broader, deeper conversation around them, Dr. Northrup's new book on dodging energy vampires is excellent. And I highly recommend picking up a copy because I know so many of us have had this experience in the past with both men and women in both personal and professional contexts. So those of you who don't know Dr. Christiane Northrup, she is a powerhouse. She's no stranger to standing at the front lines and advocacy of women's health and wholeness. And she's a pioneer, a true pioneer in the field of women's health. She's a New York Times bestselling author and board certified OBGYN. She's also one of my personal heroes whose shoulders I stand upon to be the woman I am today and to be doing the work I'm doing today, especially speaking out now as an advocate for abortion and specifically more compassionate post abortion support for women. And she has a really, you know, really inside perspective about abortion. She herself used to perform them, which she speaks about. And she also tells us why she stopped. We talk a lot about women's erotic and reproductive energy within the contract within the context of patriarchy and how we can reown this energy. And I loved her analogy. She talks about running the energy in our pelvic bowl like we would run a business or like we would manage our own bank accounts. And she also shares some things about what her own current growing edge is and her vision of where we're going next as women, because we all acknowledge the, the ground beneath us is rapidly changing and our lives as women are really coming into the forefront for, for our individual lives and for the world at large. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. And I also wanted to share that registration for this online course, Redemption Circle, A Woman's Path to Healing After Her Abortion, a six-week course now is open. And we start on September 17th with early registration discounts until August 31st. And again, the URL for that is thewayofthehappywoman.com forward slash redemption. The link to that is in the show notes as well. All right. Enjoy this conversation. All right. Welcome, Dr. Northrup. It's really oh, it's wonderful great to have to be you here. here. Thank you. And we always start our gatherings here, as I'm sure you're used to when gathering with women, with a little personal check-in. And can you share with our listeners today how you're doing at the levels of body, heart, and mind? Yes. I'm uh, doing beautifully today at the level of uh, body and mind. I have on the eclipse, the full moon eclipse on July 27th, I completed this backyard project of a natural swimming pool that I first dreamed about in December of 2016, and then it took me a long time, but now it's completed, and I wanted to do it to have a place for my granddaughter to come and swim, but it's all natural, and so Mm -hmm. the filtration area has attracted many frogs, and I've learned that frogs in a shamanic tradition uh, have the ability to transmute negative vibration into higher vibration, and they also act as a conduit 
for bringing heaven to earth, and they're very cleansing. Mm. So I'm aware of this gift that I've been given from nature that's working in my uh, in my home all the time. And I also am very excited that right now as we speak, we are in the week and a half before Mars goes direct, and we've all been having our internal energy, our energy, our going out, getting it done energy turned inward on ourselves. So for many people, this has been uh, a time of frustration, of things not moving ahead, of things being stuck. And we're almost at the end of this, the summer with three eclipses. And uh, it's as though we've all had to own our Mars energy and have the courage to say the things that we've needed to say, possibly for lifetimes. And I see people doing it, and I'm riding on that wave. It's an exhilarating wave for me because of all the work I've done for so many decades to finally stand in my power, say what I know to be true, but with with great love, without kind of trying to defend myself. That's a big shift. Mm, That's really powerful. I have definitely felt... The intensity of the eclipses this summer, my whole life just really got kind of turned upside down in a good way. <laughs> like a lot of changes that I've been that I've been working towards, they all just happened at once in July, and I'm like, just I don't know, kind of on the kind of on the beginning shores of my new life, but it's also disorienting. Oh, terribly! And you don't even know where your toothbrush yeah. is when you're in that state. Exactly. And, and I just want to say that I'm so um I'm so I'm so grateful to be here with you today because you have been such a role model for me for so many years through your writing, through your willingness like we were talking we were talking before we, we hit record, your willingness just to stand in the fire before any of the rest of us were gathered around you. Yeah. And it, like you're saying, it is a powerful moment in time that we are we are all coming together and uniting our forces, and it's it is exhilarating. I feel that exhilaration. But you also know, personally, because I read your blog on the abortion thing, you know personally that there is a dark night of the soul. There is a firewalk that you have to do, and you have to do it only fueled by faith, because even if you have support around you there's still this dark night of the soul that you have to do and when you spoke of that and uh particularly every single issue about pregnancy and birth and and the ability to hold the power of life and death in your hands uh you couldn't talk about that intellectually it's almost as though uh kali herself the goddess of of living and destruction came and said, "Sister, you're coming with me." It, it's yeah. like you, anyone who has a thing called right, the way of the happy woman. <laughs> it's like it says to the universe, "Let's test that, shall we?" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> My whole life has been a test since then. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's yeah. like what I say. Listen, honey, if you write a book called "Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom." and then you don't pay attention to what happens, we will show you something in your physical body. 
so pay attention. <laughs> it's like don't yeah. don't write a book like that. It, it reminds me years and years ago, the famous medical intuitive Carolyn Mace said, "My next lifetime, I'm going to come back and run a bakery and smoke." And the reason I never figured <laughs> out why she said that until much later, and what she said is. If you don't know what you don't know, it's okay. But the the your life, um, your symptoms in your body are of a reflection of the difference between what you say you believe and and how you actually live your life. It's like they got a match once you hit a certain level of consciousness. If you remain unconscious, you can smoke and you can drink and you can and it doesn't matter. But the minute you inject consciousness and you say you want to be a certain way, then your higher power puts you on notice. Okay, <laughs> now you got to do it. <laughs> yeah, and what I realized this past year and a quarter since my abortion was that that, that particular configuration as precise as it was, was the exact thing that I needed to heal these really deep and intricate wounds that are not just mine, but also, you know, there's there's um, history of tragic pregnancies in my family, ah. uncovering all these subconscious things that I believe that I was holding on to, that pregnancy always ends in tragedy and grief that I was holding on for other family members. And it was just, it was kind of like just a bottomless <laughs> Yeah, bottomless a pile of these beliefs that I didn't yeah. even realize I was holding. But you see, the, the the difference there is that you were not only holding them, then you had to clear them from the yeah. from the field, from the quantum field. You had to clear them, and the only way to clear them is to feel them. And by doing that, look at the amount of darkness. You're, you've been clearing, yeah. which means you must be yeah, some real mess. powerful soul to have that amount of darkness. Really, when you talked in your blog about the sociopath you were in relationship with, I think people do not realize how powerful these people are. They just don't yeah. realize, and they're given a free pass, or have been, by society for centuries. And so you... You really, you really wrestled with darkness there, and and came out on top. So congratulations on that. I mean, that was huge, huge. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it really did almost cost me my life. No question. I, no question. Yeah. No question. Yeah. And um, and then you did it so so clear headedly. You know what's so interesting to me? You have this. You you talk about. Uh, that you got in touch with the soul of your son who said, I was never meant to be born. I came to you as a teacher. That's what I did. And you knew that. You knew it uh, in your in your spirit. You knew it with your entire being. And now here's the part that's so difficult. You still had to go through all the grief of a pregnancy yeah. loss. Having that intellectual knowledge doesn't save us from having to go through our humanity. And I wish that weren't the case, but it is the case. <laughs> it yeah. didn't save you. I mean, so here you are, and you know that you've got to, you know, have the second trimester abortion and uh, the whole thing. And then it's amazing to me that even with the meaning, you knew the meaning of this, 
and still had to go through that incredible loss. Yeah. Yeah. God, it's true. But it's it was that, it's still that direction that I got from him and that I still get from him. Like He's still with me very strongly that whenever I feel shame or guilt or um, question myself, which happens from time to time, depending upon who I'm with or what's going on around me, it's he, he just reminds me, you know, no, like, <laughs> we did the right thing. This is what was meant to happen. Uh, yes. Yes. You had yeah. some amazing support there. The, I did. The, you know, I, I, did. I and, and also some understanding of who you were dealing with, the father of this child, who you were actually dealing with, and that when you are in relationship with that person, then having a child with them, you're in relationship with them for the rest of your life. Yeah. Through the child. It doesn't go away. So Yeah, women have written into me who who ended up keeping you know, carrying on with their pregnancies with narcissists or sociopaths and they've written right. to me and they said, you know, I love my child but honestly I wish that I had done what you had done because it's so hard now. Yes. Boy, that takes courage too to admit that. Yeah. 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 Well, these characters are unbelievable, which is, you know, why I finally it you know, I've always my whole life I kind of wanted to write a book that was easy and fun and quick. Um whoever knew that the book would be called Dodging Energy Vampires. <laughs> That's like the most fun I ever had writing a book and it was so fast and I wrote the whole thing in less than a year and it it just poured out of me because of my own personal experience, but also finally putting some things together that I hadn't seen put together before. Your uh, personal journey of doing yoga, teaching yoga, teaching women's spirituality, eating almost perfectly, and getting sicker and sicker and sicker. That's what I have seen over and over again, because when you're uh, energy is being drained when you're constantly giving this person narcissistic supply. It doesn't matter what you're eating. It doesn't matter how much you're meditating or, you know, none of that really matters. And, you know, finally I was able to name something that I'd seen for decades and participated in in my own life with various gurus and various spiritual teachers and you know, when the Rajneesh Wild Wild Country Netflix thing came on, I was just transfixed. It's like, wow. So was I. I <laughs> know. <laughs> and you yeah. know what? That isn't even as bad as it was. There's a whole series of YouTube videos that people had made. Um, you know, he people died in the Indian ashram. Uh, there were broken bones from these things that he did, all kinds of things, oh. many deaths, and then they would just burn the bodies. So nobody oh knew gosh. what was going on there, and and the you know, and then they changed his name to Osho, and the whole uh, organization still exists, and they still make excuses like that was fine. Uh, so you know, when people are asleep, they're asleep. Have you gotten any uh, any negative publicity from people? I haven't. Yeah, you see, that's a kind of shame. No, I don't think you're going to. 
I don't think you're yeah, going so to. Let's, let's talk about that, what, what we were talking about before we started recording, how, yeah. how times have changed and what you've noticed in terms of this abortion really being the last frontier for yeah, us as women. Well, let me talk about my own experience doing abortions. I did abortions for years uh, before they started killing abortion doctors. Um, because of their san- the sanctity of life, an unborn fetus is sacred, but a doctor is not. Um, and so I did abortions for years. And then what happened to me was two women in a row, one uh, begged me to do the abortion. Now remember, we didn't have the um, mefepristone RU486 at that time. So all of the abortions were suction and curatage where you put in the the laminaria the piece of seaweed like you had and you dilate the cervix and then you uh, come and suction out the the contents so that's what we had and uh, this woman begged me to do the procedure at six weeks uh, along and I said look there's a there's a big risk of missing the gestational sac if I do it this early but she was very convincing and so I did it, and then she came back about a month or two later, hadn't gotten a period, and she was still pregnant because I had indeed mm-hmm. missed the um, missed the sack, even though there was some of the, the path report showed products of conception. And I said to her, listen, <laughs> this is where, you know, I would always kind of go into the spiritual realm, like where you went, to connect with the soul of the of the child, because if you don't, uh, then you've sort of missed the opportunity. And uh, I said to her, when something like this happens, I need to ask you to really pay attention. I have never had this happen in my entire medical training or practice. So when it happens, I have to think that maybe this baby needs to be here. And she said, Oh, no, 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 go ahead. Now, that, that time when I did the abortion, that felt like I was murdering something. That felt bad to me. Then Then there was the next one, and these happened like a month apart, where a woman who had two children was 41, uh, came in for an abortion. She said, look, we're out of car seats. I don't want to go back. And I said to her, listen, I, I need to tell you that for women like you who've already had children and you have uh, the wherewithal to have children and you, you're well supported, uh, having an abortion for someone like you, it can be particularly difficult because you've had children. You know how to support them and, uh, you know, this is this is not a total inconvenience. Yes, you're in diapers and car seats for a while longer, but... It's very different than if you got pregnant inadvertently at the age of 16. No, 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 I need, I want it, do it, that's fine, I will be fine. She comes back post-op and starts to berate me. She says, you never told me how bad I would feel. I can't believe it. And so what she was doing was what many, many people do, which is instead of feeling how awful her decision had made her feel. Instead of feeling how 
bad this loss was, like what you had to do. She instead projected it on me because she needed to find someone to blame for her own decision. And from those two patients, I decided that I needed to teach women how to run their pelvic energy more like a bank account and their checkbook and that they needed Mm -hmm. to learn how to take responsibility for that and not let anything start growing in there um, that they weren't consciously inviting in. And so I decided I'm just going to change my focus. Now, I still to this day, I will always, always, always uh, believe in abortion, always. In fact, there was a time when I thought, if they outlaw abortion, I will start a little clinic in my basement, but it will be, you know, clandestine like they did it in the days before abortion was legal. Um, So I will always know that it it needs to be safe and available. But I realized that I didn't want to work at that level of women's ambivalence anymore. Yeah. Because I was sometimes doing a fourth and fifth abortion on the same person. And yeah, I read that in your book. Yeah. And so um and so here's what I what I would like to think. And and again, you see your situation is the perfect example of why it needs to be available. Because with all of your consciousness, with you know, we have the illusion of objectivity, the illusion of control. Like if we and we women are taught this, right? You should be perfect at all times. You should look beautiful at all times. You should always be thin, and you should always have it together. And you should never have sex with anybody who you know wouldn't make a good father to your children. I mean, we're human, and we don't know what we don't know until we know. Um, but in my particular case, and also my staff didn't want to do abortions anymore. And we had in our area many, many, many good providers. So it's not like I was the only one. And so I stopped doing abortions. Now, I think that the uh, the medical abortion now, uh, the mefepristone, is a wonderful option. Uh, around the country now, you can have a Skype interview with uh, a doctor and then just get the medication through the mail. I mean, if if let's say abortion becomes outlawed, which I don't think it will, by the way, but if it does, we are so much further along in the in the medical ability to end a pregnancy than we ever were before. So there's going to be ways to ways to do it. But you know what I would like to see always is for women to really run their sexuality like they do a business and be very clear. But again, your situation is one of those where this is what needed to happen from a soul level. And thank God you had uh, abortion available to you. Yeah. Yeah. Can you speak more about running our sexuality like a bank account or like a business? Yeah. Think about the pelvis and the female erotic energy of the body as the generative place in our body. So this is the ultimate of the creative area in our bodies. It's the second chakra. It is the part of the body that is uh, it's wired in, its health is wired in, 
by our relationship with money, sex, and power. And so we want to have as firm and functional a pelvic bowl, or what Tammy Lynn Kent calls also the birthing field, as we possibly can. Now, we each inherit a certain uh, legacy around our creativity, around our sexuality, and in patriarchy, what that has been for centuries is the mining of women's ovaries for the benefit of the patriarchal system. Uh, Audre Lorde, the black lesbian feminist who was the poet laureate of New York State, uh, wrote in her in her book, she had a wonderful essay called uh, The Erotic as Power. The Erotic as Power. So I think about the women's movement of the 70s and the power suit of the 80s where women were taught that if you were interested in beauty, in feminine, in femininity, in lipstick, in nail polish, in hair, makeup, and clothes, then you were a traitor to the movement. What did we do? We allowed the masculine principle to take us over and disown our own eros, our own erotic nature, life force. Eros is life force. Thanatos is, is death. Patriarchy has pretty much worshipped death. So a patriarchal society is a society that's either preparing for war or recovering from war. And women's erotic juice, or the feminine as it exists in men, has been used to fuel the life force enough so that you could get up and go back to war. And we've internalized that within ourselves. And so we, uh, so we have sex to be loved. We have children, um, as one of my friends who is both a doctor and a Baptist minister said at my daughter's blessing way ceremony before her marriage, she said, marriage is about property and progeny. It's, or patriarchy's been called the eroticized ownership of everything that is. And so we women have sourced our power through men or patriarchal power structures, which is, of course, you know, the complaint of uh, our black and brown sisters who are saying white women aligned with male, white male power structures on the backs of black women and brown women, all of which is true. So we have used our pelvic power, our generative, erotic pleasure centers for the good of others at our own expense. And that is why there's so much postpartum depression and so many women are given antidepressants after having a baby. I mean, there are physical reasons. The baby is sucking out all your DHA from your brain and there's all of that. But we have not been supported in flourishing on all levels, particularly the pelvic area. And and my own body and my own past have been examples of this. 
I mean, I was working 80 hours a week and trying to nurse my first baby full time because I didn't have one single role model for a woman who had successfully had a career and children. Not one. And so I was trying to serve, I was trying to be a male. I was trying to do everything that the men did, only, uh, you know, and having to do it better than they would do it to get half the attention, and breastfeed my daughter exclusively. And I developed... Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I developed a breast abscess on the right side uh, and tried to heal it myself because I knew that my colleagues would not be helpful. I didn't want to see any of them as a doctor because I didn't trust them. And so I treated myself, and then one day I knew I was in trouble. I went into the exam room, and I closed the door, put a 10cc syringe in my right breast, drew out 10 cc's of pus, and said, I'm in trouble. I'm, I'm going to need help here. And I called a female resident. I said, who do I go to? And she told me, the surgeon to go to who had six daughters. And I went to him that night and got operated on. And I had a breast abscess dissecting into my chest wall, which was the worst thing he'd seen in that area in 30 years of medical surgical practice. So I auto-amputated the lower half of my right breast to, as a result of my trying to fit into a patriarchal structure where the original sin of being born female is not redeemable by works. It's called what Mayor Chapman calls othering. We've been taught our whole lives to other, to pay attention to the other who has more power than we do. Our survival depended on othering. And I love that she came up with that word because what have we done in patriarchy? We've called uh, othering um, relationship addiction, codependence, women who love too much, are you kidding me? That's just called doing what you have to do to survive in patriarchy. <laughs> so other, you have to other, like the servants on Downton Abbey. You know, you got you live and die by how well you can meet the needs of others. And others are male authority figures who can be female, but usually it's a white male authority figure until very recently in the post-Harvey Weinstein, Bill Cosby era, which makes me want to turn backflips with joy. Because for the <laughs> first time, first time in my entire career, people are getting a clue. I used to see women, they'd come into the office, sit down on the couch, start to weep, because they knew they were safe to tell me their stories, the whole story, and that I would know that the story was connected with their physical health. And then my colleague said, oh, yeah, you, you see all the crazy women. We only see normal women. No, what they saw was what I called at the time the Bermuda bag ladies where everything matched really well and they were members of the country club and the women were wearing the golden handcuffs. They had a lot to lose by aligning with me. I had a lot of patients back then. Anyone who was in a corporate power structure, they would want to have lunch with me on a Saturday a, a clandestine place where they couldn't actually be seen with someone like me. And that's what I call the henchwomen of patriarchy. They had right. too much to lose. Well, now I see you and I are talking. Uh, there's a new generation, the generation of women with mothers like me, like my daughter Kate, my daughter Annie, 
and all their friends, they get it because it, it took a while, right? People like us were out there breaking trail, the baby boom generation. So, of course, we haven't used our pelvic power for our own our own uh, pleasure, our own power, our own abundance. If you did, well, for centuries, you'd have been burned at the stake. And so every woman that I know who has reclaimed her true power and spoken her truth goes through this thing where she feels like she's going to be killed. When Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom came out the first time, I had dreams that there was someone in the house who was going to kill me. I'd wake up screaming. My kids can tell you about it. Uh, When I was on the cover of East West Journal in the 80s, um, they took the pictures down in Boston on the Charles River before I passed my oral boards in OBGYN, and I said to the magazine, please do not put that picture on the cover until after I've become board certified. And then what I did is I called the food co-op in Portland, and I said, please tell me when the East West Journal magazine comes in. They did. And I went down and bought every issue, all ten of them, so that none of the doctors in my community would ever see me. And then I went back to a a residency thing with uh, our wonderful patriarch, Dr. George Mitchell, the late Dr. George Mitchell, head of my OBGYN program. And he had seen the magazine, and he said to me, whatever happened to you? You used to be one of our best residents. What was I talking about back then? Nutrition. Nutrition. (laughs) So... My God, you know, and so here you are talking to women about owning the fact that they made a choice to voluntarily terminate a pregnancy on behalf of their own life. Now, let's talk about something that is off the table. If you do something on behalf of your own sovereignty, on behalf of your own life, you are flying in the face of 5,000 years of messaging that your job is to serve the church, serve the school, serve your husband, serve anything other than your own joy, your own pleasure, your own abundance. That's selfish. If a man does it, that's what he's supposed to be doing. If a woman does it, you are a bitch and you are selfish. Now, one of the things I've done through the years is, you know, uh, read people like Sonia Johnson, uh, who wrote From Housewife to Heretic way back. And years ago, I was given the uh, Distinguished Woman of the Year Award by the Kennebec Girl Scouts Council. Every now and then something happens like this, and you go, wow, I don't think they know who they're dealing with. But anyway, I got the distinguished woman, and in my acceptance speech in Portland, Maine, I get up and I say, now, um, if you're, you want to take some labels that stop women dead in their tracks, and you want to turn them around so they no longer have any power to stop you. And I said, so the three words are... Um, a witch, a bitch, and a lesbian. So I stood up and I said, so 
what is a bitch? It's a female dog who protects her young. I'm a bitch. What is a witch? A witch is somebody who follows the ancient shamanic religion that the earth is sacred and that we uh, owe the earth our respect so that we don't trash her. So I'm a witch. What is a lesbian? A woman who loves women. I'm a lesbian. I got a standing ovation at the Kennebec wow. Girl Scout Council in the 1990s. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So I think wow. that, you know, having the courage, it's, it's the old, like you say, the Brene Brown, what is shame? Shame is the most painful emotion that we can ever feel as humans because shame says, I am a mistake. Guilt says, I made a mistake. Shame says, I am a mistake. And it produces, the feeling of shame produces an inflammatory chemical throughout the body called IL-6. So it sort of feels like you're dying. And as Dr. Mario Martinez says in his wonderful book, Mind Body Code, all tribes try to keep their members in line with the same three archetypal wounds. And shame is one of them. Abandonment is another one. And rejection. And so the healing field for shame, he points out, is honor. So when you're feeling ashamed then you instantly feel where the shame is in your body because that's how your, your tribe has kept you under control for centuries to shame you because in, for most of human history, if your tribe abandoned you, you died. You died. So you feel the shame in your body and where it lives. And then you bring in the memory of something you did that was honorable, mothering your children, taking food to a sick friend, helping somebody put their groceries in their car, all of the many, many things you do that are honorable every day. And you remember that episode of honoring. until, And you keep going back and forth between the shame and the honor, the shame and the honor, until you have wiped out the shame imprint. And that's what you're doing with the I had an abortion uh, movement and hashtag you're going right into the darkest part of the wound, which is a woman choosing her own life at the yeah. expense of the life of a potential human, a child. A woman choosing her own life. That is the And that's last. why abortion is such an enemy of the patriarchy. Of because, course. You know, they, they, if we're not aligned to the institution of motherhood, then... Within the patriarchy, we're seen as being worthless. Yeah, exactly. And please have sons. You know, one of my sort of yeah. favorite horrible statistics is the Chinese, you know, where, what, 60 million girls are missing because of Gosh. their one-child policy. And so for a long while, up until recently, because they prefer boys over girls, they either withheld uh, medical care from the girls uh, or they aborted the girls selectively, same with India. And so now they've got all these young men who've come of age and there are no girls. It's wow. like, dude, where do you think boys come <laughs> from? <laughs> what did you expect? Yeah, what did you? that was dumb, huh? You might want to think through your policy. 
I mean, you know, so that's where that's what we're transforming now. But man, the courage to say, I choose me. I choose my life. When I was 37, I had a tubal ligation along with my sister. We called it moving into greater fertility. And she had had um she had gotten pregnant inadvertently during her period. Sometimes souls are very persistent, and they're going to come in regardless of what you do. And uh, I said to her, why don't you have a, a tubal ligation? She goes, I'll do it when you do it. I said, okay, you're on. And then I told her, talk to this uh, fetus every day and tell it to leave, that you just can't do this. You will not do this. And she got to the point, she called up an abortion clinic to make an appointment, had the appointment, puts the phone in the cradle, that's what we had then, and she miscarries. Boom. The soul got the message. Wow. You you had a bigger thing that had to go on. I know you did. Yeah. But she did. Mm-hmm. And then we had a and then we had this wonderful ceremony of moving into greater fertility where we chose tubal ligations and I knew that I had a book in me or another child. But I did not have both because when I do motherhood, I do motherhood. I know what it takes to nurture the next generation so that they feel safe and secure and cared for. And I nursed both kids for two years, the second one on just one side because I'd wrecked the other side. <laughs> Anyhow, it's a big deal to choose yourself Big deal. Have you heard of Linda Weber? She she wrote a book called Life Choices about abortion. Nope. Mm-mm. Let me write it down. It's a great book, uh, Life Choices, the Teachings of, of, of Abortion. I just found out about this when, after I published my story last month. Someone referred me to it. And it's a phenomenal book, and it really pulls out all the complex different pieces of abortion, which I think is one of the many reasons why we don't talk about it, because it's kind of like we don't even know where to start. So the conversations we've been having are very elementary and they actually need to be much more sophisticated. And one of the things that she writes about in this book is that what she has seen over her years of counseling women, she was she was the founder of Boulder Valley Women's Health when Colorado was the first state that legalized abortion in the 70s. Uh-huh. And she started that in Boulder And one of the things that she's found is that over the years, the lingering guilt that women have after abortion is not so much that they had an abortion, but is that they put themselves first. Yes. And yeah. Yes. And we don't even, we don't even, I mean, at least for me, that I didn't even realize that until a ways into my healing. I was like, wow, I, I think for the first time in my life, I fully put myself first. Yeah. As a, as a, as an advocate to other women, you know, to be selfish, put your own oxygen mask mask on first. There was a way that I wasn't like fully owning that until I had my abortion. Yeah, right. That's right because that is that is the crux of the matter. You know, um patriarchy is a it's a servant system. It's based on a bunch of second-class citizens serving those who are higher up. And so when you when you do that, you, you know, you're sort of defying everything. 
and it, and, it re, and it relates to everything that happens with women. A friend of mine was talking about, you know, jealousy between women and how, you know, and he starts in, well, you know, women are like that. They have that jealousy thing. I go, listen, dude, let me give you a little sermonette on that one. <laughs> that stems from patriarchy and men having the power. So women align with the male or the one that has power, and then they fight off their sisters because that's how they've been trained. But once you source with yourself, like I'm putting myself first, this is, you know, the old um, Mary Oliver, and I chose to save the only life I could save, right, which is my own. That is so freaking radical. It's like Audrey Lord said, uh, you know, she had breast cancer metastatic to the liver, and they, she was given six months to live, and she lived for eight years. And she said, I have come to see that caring for myself is self-preservation, and that is an act of political warfare. I'll never forget yeah. reading that. It's like, whoa, whoa. Yeah, now, here, here's the thing. We all know, and this goes back to dodging energy vampires, that there are women who have character disorders and they suck the living life out of the men or other women that they're in relationship with. They're narcissistic, borderline personality, whatever. And so we don't want to be like them. So what do we do? We kind of overshoot in the opposite direction. Oh, God, I don't want to be like her. I don't want to be like her. But, you know, 180 degrees from abnormal is not normal. Right. So, and the other thing that we women know is the absolute joy of uplifting others and giving to others. But this other thing about, you know, give till it hurts, uh, you know, volunteer, uh, all of that stuff, I swear, I don't think that that applies to your basic empathic woman who's, um, who has nurtured others. I mean, we get a lot of um, positive feedback out of volunteering. And, you know, you know the term, you hear it a lot, selfless service. Selfless mm -hmm. service. Tireless service. Makes me want to go into my bedroom and fall asleep for the rest <sighs> of my life. Tireless <sighs> service. That's, that's patriarchy. That's self-sacrifice. That doesn't help anything. Or the other one, oh, there's so much more that needs to be done. Ugh. <laughs> Just little things to pay attention to, right, that, that hook you. Oh, yeah, I should be doing more. I really need to be doing more. There's such violence in that, violence against self. Yeah, now there are so many great examples of women making a great contribution like yourself and also taking really good care of themselves and honoring themselves and finding that, you know, the That's dance right. between the two because they're really the same thing. You know? Yeah, they are. You know, people say to me, well, are you traveling all the time and are you, you know, like super busy? It's like, no, I just say no, no a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not like, you know, sundown to sunset. I No, I'm not. I, and there are times I just have to lie on my bio mat and watch Netflix. Right. <laughs> so you wrote in Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom, which I 
I was so, you know, right after my abortion, I was just starved for some sort of like sophisticated spiritual conversation around abortion in any sort of literature or anywhere, and I just couldn't find it. And one day when I was laying in bed, I spent many days in bed I thought during that time, I just thought of your book, Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom, and I I thought, I bet she has a section in there on abortion, but I just never noticed it before because it didn't apply to me. And I just devoured that section. And each time now that I reread it and just rereading it again before our interview today, I found new pieces that I didn't, you know, that didn't, I didn't notice before. But one of the things you wrote was, if every woman who ever had an abortion or even one third of them were willing to speak about her experience, not in shame, but with honesty about where she was then, what she learned, and where she is now, this whole issue would heal a great deal faster. And obviously, I agree with that, and that's why I shared my story. And like I shared with you earlier, the personality of Sarah did not want to share this story at all. No, but no, I know, not. you know. From the larger perspective, we're here to self-actualize. The planet is, is here to self-actualize. And if one of us doesn't heal, we're all not going to heal. And this is one of the main wounds that needs healing. And I just, I don't know what it's going to take for more women to step forward and to share their stories and to speak out about this. Because right now, when we're staying silent about it, and I understand why we're staying silent about it, um, we're actually we're actually perpetuating the problem at this point. Yeah, absolutely. But what I've found, if, if you think about the dictates of patriarchy, so in my practice for years, I would you know women would tell me about the abortions that they had, but they never wanted their mothers to know, their fathers to know, their husbands to know. I remember at St. Margaret's Hospital for Women, where I did a lot of my OB residency. Uh, when I ran the clinics there, men would call me, and this is back in the 70s, they'd call me and they would say, um, can you arrange, this is the Catholic hospital, Sisters of Mercy, can you arrange an abortion for my daughter? I don't believe in abortion, but this would ruin her life. So I'm there in the clinic of a Catholic hospital talking to probably some guy who's on the board of trustees. And so what I know is each individual woman has to look at her own situation. And uh, I don't know if you've ever done a fire walk. A fire walk is very interesting. You have the hot coals uh, on a path, and then you uh, sit there with other people, and you sing or whatever you do. And the way it works is when you feel prepared when you feel ready you just walk across hot coals and they don't burn you it is the weirdest thing because once you've done it you go how did that happen how could i have just walked across those hot coals and not have my feet burned off but you don't i think it's the same way with mm -hmm. saying that you had an abortion that when you're ready you're going to say it it's kind of like all the people now, this is the time, all the people now coming uh, to terms with having been abused by priests. The diocese uh, in Pennsylvania, the big article in the New York Times, all these people now coming forward 
that were abused by priests who never said anything. And if they did say something, they were either paid off or summarily dismissed. I don't think it's going to happen this time. But because you were on, you're in the last archetypal wound, um, it may be slower, but now is the time. Now is the yeah. time. And the very fact that you're doing this just makes it easier for the next woman and the next woman and the next woman. And consciousness has changed dramatically in the last 30 years, or we never would have even had the Me Too movement. I mean, men have been beating up women and young boys and all that for centuries. It's just been the way of life. Now we actually have something called a Me Too movement. So you're doing the abortion, me too. Again, it's like it's like sexual abuse. That's all I was seeing in my practice. Middle-class white women, well-educated, in a little Maine town. And I was seeing how many had been sexually abused by fathers, by priests, by teachers, by coaches. Look at that Larry guy who abused... Girls on the U.S. Olympic gymnastic team for 30 years. And he was the best friends of their fathers. Look at what you just went through with the sociopath who was the, um, the father of your child. Charming. They're beyond belief. Yeah, he's, yeah, people really look up to him. Of course they do. Yeah, they look up to him. He's living off narcissistic supply. When we start withdrawing that narcissistic supply from those charismatic people, the world changes and you reclaim your power. It's what Carolyn Mace calls the power behind our eyes, not the power in front of our eyes. And as the more you do it, the more emboldened you become. And it's like, was it uh, Florida Maxwell? It says, when a woman tells the truth about her life, everything changes. That's power. That's the kind of power that we're now finally using and not giving away anymore. I've often said, I mean, I think by 10 years ago, I was pretty emboldened. And I said, well, they're not going to burn me at the stake this time. I've come too far, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, yeah, like, you know, and also with um, the censorship on Facebook and, you know, all of the stuff. I mean, all the stuff I really believe in, uh, I don't actually put on social media except for vaccines, which I think everyone <laughs> needs to know uh, because the HPV vaccine, Gardasil, is actually creating sterility in 18-year-olds, and that's terrifying. Mm. But... um you know, mostly I just know we're in a new we're in a new world now, and it's so exciting, so exciting. Where where do you see us going next as women? You've always been such a visionary and really a woman ahead of her time. Oh, I see what I see that I'm loving. I see this incredible sisterhood happening, where women are banding together doing beautiful things together, like your women's retreats, uh, like my daughter Kate's Origin Collective, where we are uplifting each other, we're helping each other economically so that there are 
um, ways that you earn a living that replenish you and that women are assisting other women and in ways that uplift men, kind of like uh, Nick Kristoff and Cheryl Wudon's book, Half the Sky, where they have gone around the, the world and said the dirty little secret of global poverty is that children are dying for want of a $5 mosquito net, and the father of that child is drinking away $5 every week at the local bar. But when women begin to run uh, little cottage industries, the men come back because they're proud of what the women have done, and then their status in the community increases, and the whole planet is better as a result. So I see that happening everywhere. Do I see the last gasp of the old order? You bet I do. So let's be clear about that. Uh, You know, the darkness is fighting for its life right now, and it's right out where you can see it. It's why everyone spends all their time complaining about Donald Trump. It's like, come on, like, come on. Stop giving him your narcissistic supply and get on with it. One of the things about women that's so interesting, we are subversive by nature. We've had to be. I can remember my daughter Kate was in this thing called Junior Great Books in school here in Yarmouth Public School. And she came home and she told me she didn't want to be in that class anymore. And I said, why? And she said, the teacher's mean. And I want to get out of that class. And I thought, I know my kid. If she says the teacher's mean, the teacher's mean. So I'm going to write her a note to get out of the class. Well, her father, like most men, says, well, we should go in and have a conference with the teacher. We should talk to other parents. We should, all of which is true, by the way. But I don't care about that. I just want my kid to get out of a class. And so, you know, her dad says, no, we're going to talk to the other parents. And she's in the bathroom crying. And I say to her after he goes to bed, don't worry, honey, I'll get you out of that class. And so I wrote her a note. She goes into school. I'm completely subversive, you know, subversive. And, um, And as soon as she got out of the class, all the other kids told their parents the same thing, and within a week the teacher was fired and they stopped the class. Now that's because I didn't go through the usual rules I never have. I just know how to get things done. Women do that. We have to. We have learned to do that because the system has not worked for us. So, you know, my kids were, maybe they had one vaccine between the two of them before the age of 18 or something. And I, you know, my husband was standard doctor, believed in the vaccines, but, you know, he never took them in because he didn't have time. And so we just didn't. We just didn't do it. Um, Skipped so it. <laughs> women have enormous power. Uh, I had a, another friend worked at Boston Children's for a while in the hematology lab, and if she didn't want to do something, she'd just look at you and smile. And or my my Chinese acupuncturist Fern, if there's someone who's not so great in the practice, she goes, "We just work out of schedule." <laughs> So, you know, there are things that we women, let us just work it out of schedule. No excuses. You just sort of let it, you know, don't energize it, and it goes away. 
And then I think we have to remember our power with men. Men rely on, you know, the old saw that, you know, behind every good man is a good woman. And then there's this new uh, movie out that I can't wait to see with Glenn Close called The Wife. And, you know, there's a line in there, uh, you know, because her husband gets the Nobel Prize for literature. And, of course, he's been putting her down and making sure she didn't write. And they ask her, what, you know, do you have a career? Do you have a job? And she looks at him. This is just in the trailer. And she says, yes, I'm a kingmaker. I'm a kingmaker. Wow. We women are kingmakers. So let us put our shakti into those people, places, and things that actually listen to us and that take our advice. Because I've learned, you know, don't try to teach a pig to sing. Number one, pigs can't sing. Number two, it irritates the pig. So there are a lot of people that I don't really spend any time with anymore. And I'll bet everyone who's listening can appreciate this. The number of people who since 2010, when Uranus went into Aries, meaning Uranus is unpredictable acts of extreme novelty, it's uh, ruled by Aquarius, and it went into Uranus in, it went into Aries in 2010. So between 2010 and now, we have had all kinds of lessons in owning our own warrior, our own Aries. And then it went into Taurus, I think in May, but it's back in Aries for a little bit. It's saying, did you get it? Did you get the lesson? This is, it's like we are being asked, as astrologer Ann Ortley says, we are scraping the bottom of the jar. Make sure that every last bit of personal um, personal transformation has taken place do you get it do you get it and and with you it was understanding that you're in relationship with a well-respected charming probably very good-looking freaking sociopath and i wrote dodging energy vampires where i finally named how darkness works and owned how i have been targeted you know It's like with these individuals, they're so charismatic often and so good-looking, and you think you've been chosen. And I like to say, you haven't been chosen, you've been targeted. And when we own our beauty, when we own our light, when we own all of it, then the world changes, and we've cut off the umbilical cord to the energy vampire. And make no mistake... We, you know, we feel bad. Well, he needs love, too. I sometimes got these, these things, you know, people saying, well, they need love, too. Yeah, it's like, don't worry. They're going to find it in five minutes. For every one, <laughs> there's, ten, there's ten more women in line. You never have That's to true. worry. You divorce them, they'll be remarried in 15 minutes. And it's shocking to an empathetic uh, old soul empath it's shocking oh my god he never really loved me nope he didn't (laughs) or she didn't i'm so sorry that is devastating that was you projecting onto them they were living off you it's exactly the opposite of how it looks 
you know, like what I said in the book, you know, you go into Walmart and you see kind of a schlubbo woman with this really charismatic, good-looking, ripped man, and you think, what does he see in her? What you should be really asking is, when is she going to stop draining her energy toward him? Yeah, yeah, that's what needs to happen. Yeah, that's a that's a powerful book, everyone dodging energy vampires, and it's. I, I think that's also an epidemic. I mean, I, I know I have at least three friends who've been through not as extreme as me, but um, but they've had those types of relationships, and just now, like we're all coming forward and talking about these things, it you know it helps to bring it out into the air and to find all these other people who have been through it, and so I was really relieved to have you be opening up that conversation and again like abortion bringing it into a spiritual context oh yeah i mean yeah, yeah. yeah these are you know without this kind of darkness i'd never be who i am i mean i have really honed myself into uh quite a weapon of light by these people yeah one final question with that is yeah. is this weapon of light that you are is what's the current growing edge that you're leaning into aha uh-huh. the current growing edge is that i'm actually in a relationship with a man with a real man who's not an energy vampire and so the growing edge is to understand that the fight is over. I don't need to prove myself. I just need to be vulnerable and soft and feminine mm-hmm. and not worry about it. And um mm-hmm. and that here is and here is a man who appreciates everything I stand for. Doesn't agree with all of it at all, but is always there appreciating uh, me. So when I say things like, well, you know, I'm, I mean, the, the way my defense is like, well, yeah, I'm a quack, you know, and all the rest of it. And he introduced me to his intelligentsia friends. Yeah, you know, and I'm a witch and all that. And he says, why do you do that? You are head and shoulders above these people. Why do you do that? That's like, wow, wow, a successful scientist who actually embraces the way I think, it's kind of a miracle. It's a miracle. So I have to um, own, reflect it in the eyes of a man. I have to own who I am. Because I actually didn't think that there was a man like this on the planet. I mean, I know there are men like this, but not any that I've ever been attracted to. (laughs) Yeah, that's... Yeah, that's that's the thing. Yeah, there are so few men that I've been attracted to in my life. So few. And so this is like, this is the growing edge, is to love and be loved personally, personally. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for bringing your passion and your wisdom to us today and for helping to move this conversation about abortion forward really means a lot to me. Thank you so much. And I'm sure it does to everyone listening. Yeah, thank you for your courage. And any any upcoming events or things that you want to share for women to to check out right now that you're offering? Um, Yeah, I'm uh, launching 
my online course called The Fabulous Female Body. That will be coming very soon. And I did that for those who don't want to slog through an 800-page book called <laughs> Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom. <laughs> and it's uh, me teaching what every woman needs to know about everything that can go right with her body. So that's, mm-hmm. that's coming up, and you can learn about it on uh, my website, drnorthrop.com. Great. All right. Thank you so much. And thank enjoy you. that uh, natural swimming pool and the frogs. <laughs> and my Sounds frogs. Really lovely. <laughs> thank yeah. you. All right. Okay. Take good care. Thanks. Thank you for joining me for today's I Had an Abortion conversation. This is definitely the era of we, not the era of me. So I invite you to gather with me as a sisterhood in this global movement to heal the stigma of abortion and raise awareness and funds to create a visible, integrated, accessible post-abortion support network that spans the world just like women can go to 12-step programs and to get support after divorce or when they have cancer we need these kinds of support groups for women after abortions that address all dimensions of our being physical emotional mental and spiritual To contribute to help create this vision, please go to patreon.com forward slash redemption circle. Every dollar helps to create this new reality for women who've had abortions to reclaim their voices, to heal through connection, and to once again feel valued and supported by their communities. So patreon.com forward slash redemption circle. That's where you can learn more and donate. Thank you for your support. God bless you. And I'll see you next time.